0: Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. Good morning, church. Good morning. Hadn't it been good to be in God's house? Amen. That's my new favorite song. Yeah, I like that song. When death was arrested, my life began. It began in my life, Easter Sunday morning, 1967. And I thank God for that. Amen. It was just absolutely the most magnificent uh, resurrection uh, Sunday I ever spent in my life. I want you to turn with your Bibles to a familiar passage of Scripture, First Peter 5, 8. Now, the family is the target. It seems like every family has a target on its back. Amen? Most educators will tell you that most of the problems that they experience uh, in school has its genesis in the family. So I'm going to be speaking for a while on the family. Last week, I was kind of hard on men, and today I'm going to be even harder. All right? This scripture is so short, uh, I'm not even going to have you to stand. All right? 1 Peter 5.8, the Bible tells us that be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, goes about roaming seeking whom he may devour. Do you all believe that? Now, Peter was telling the people of the diaspora; they were dispersed out of Jerusalem simply because of the stoning of Stephen. And there was a great difficulty, not only with the Roman Empire, but with the structure of the religious people. And so a lot of Christians began to move out and flee in that area of the world. And so Peter is writing to them an epistle of real encouragement during this period of time in their life. And he's telling them, listen, I want you to be aware of this one thing. Uh, No matter where you go, there you are. And I want you to know that evil is going to not only be before you, it's going to be with you. No matter where you turn, your adversary is going to be there. And so I want you to understand that that is the truth in the 21st century as well. Not being redundant, I want to read you this from Dr. Dobson, Focus on the Family. He stated that Western civilization stands at a great crossroads. Our very survival as a people will depend upon the presence or absence of masculine leadership in millions of homes. He said, Dads hold the keys to the preservation of... The family. How true. Stephen Farrar stated this, that leading your family through the chaos of American culture is like leading a patrol through enemy-occupied territory. And that's kind of true too, amen? It's very difficult today. Chuck Swindoll said this, and we need to listen. He said that we live in the do-it-your-own-thing syndrome. It's really difficult solomon you probably never read him he's a christian writer counselor he wrote in his book on narcissism and intimacy of which i read listen to this it's so astounding what seems to be distinctive about our times is that society sees narcissistic traits as a means to an end and not really a problem in other words uh the more into yourself you become, the more narcissistic you become. That that seems to be a new norm for our society, even in the, in the context of relationship. Galen, who wrote this, another Christian writer, in his book *The Rage Within*, had this to say: "The most dangerous thing in the world is to be uninvolved. Man, when you're not uninvolved, you're in trouble, particularly with." your family. It is an apparent reality that there's an all-out war being declared on the family in the United States of America. As a matter of fact, if you read anything about education and you see what's happening, it is literally astounding. It really is. So I'm going to tell you, grandparents and parents, You really need to be involved with your children's education and your grandchildren's education. You really need to help them understand what it is uh, that we need to be concerned about. The people today have redacted history. It's amazing. And you have to really, really bring your children up to speed on not only what the Word of God says, but what history states. 1 Peter 2.21, I want you to turn there. First Peter two twenty one. Incidentally, when I was printing off my sermon for this Sunday, after I got all the notes typed, uh, everything typed out except uh, what I just read you a while ago out of First Peter, uh, where it says, "Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil." That one was marked through. Isn't that amazing? All the other scriptures seemed to print out, but that one was marked through. And I know I was running out of ink, but why did the others print? And so I had to go exercise my printer. In the name of Jesus, get your life straight, printer. <laughs> Amen. 1 Peter two twenty one. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. And I know you remember reading in history the famous bishop, uh sheen who wrote the book in his steps you probably read that book and have it in your personal library but i want to talk to the teachers just a moment and all the fathers and particularly all of our family units this scripture that peter gave them as they were going about being conscious of their adversary is a really educational metaphor uh, if you go back and look at it, Paul in First Corinthians chapter 3 used another architectural metaphor when he said, I have laid the foundation of Jesus Christ among you. And the word he uses there is architecton, where we get our word architect. Now here, this concept is kind of expounded upon. Peter said it this way, look. You've been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in His steps. That word example means that Jesus Christ laid down the ABCs of discipleship for you, and you must follow in His steps. Now, if you look at these two concepts, Paul said, I laid the foundation, and Peter says, now you're going to build upon that foundation, and you really need to build upon it with those principles that are lasting. Paul said you could build upon the foundation with and struggle, but it's not going to last. Fire burn it up. You need to build upon that foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones. Those things that will stand the test of fire. And Peter is telling them, listen guys, I want you to really understand this one thing, that if you really need direction of which way to go and what to do, Jesus Christ has already been there for you, and you need to lean on Him. You need not only to pray to Him, you need to take His example and follow it. When I was in the first grade, uh, actually, my first grade teacher was about ready to retire, and I'm glad she didn't because I remember her. She was kind of uh, an elderly lady. She had white hair, and it was in a, had a bun. You know, we used to call it the Church of God bun. Uh, she had a butt in her hair. And y'all probably don't uh, remember this, but we had a cloak room. You remember that? In our classroom. And in our cloak room is where we put our lunch boxes and we hung our coats and this type of thing. She had supplies in there. And uh, uh, I remember when we started learning the ABCs. And she said, Ronnie, said, yes, ma'am, will you help me? Yes. So we went in the cloak room and I came out with the. Uh, the easel stand and I put it up. You know, and she came out with this huge book. And she picked it up and put it right on that easel. And the name of that book was The Big Book. And it was big. I won't never forget that. And so we sat down in our class and she says, Now class, raise your desk. So we raised our desk. you remember those days? We raised our we had an inkwell we raised our desk. We took out a notepad and our pencil. And put the desk down. Of course, they told you everything to do because they didn't. We'd have just been there flapping it. But anyway, uh, boys would anyway. And so we were there, and she said, Class, this is the big book. And she started talking about the big book, and it was opening up the world of wonder. And she began to talk about the world of wonder. And she had our imaginations just flying all over the place. And... We were all excited, so when she turned the first page, there it was. On the left-hand side was the uppercase A, and on the right-hand side was the lowercase A. We were going to learn the ABCs. And she says, now, class, she said, I want you to take your your pencil, and I want you to write down the uppercase A. And she, oh, she just right in the air showed us how to do that. Amen. And we are all doing it. And then the lowercase a, we did that. And then she says, now put your pencils down. And then she'd walk by and look at us to see if we had done it correctly. Oh, I was so glad we should come to mind because I love to, to to impress my teacher. And I did my very best. And she said, Ronnie, that looks good. And she went on down through the classroom. And then we went through not only the A, but we wound up with z. I mean, we went through the whole book learning the ABCs, and that's exactly what Peter is telling those people of the Dispensora. He says, look, Christ has already drawn it for you. He's already drawn the ABCs, and all you have to do is to make sure you trace his steps exactly, and if you do, You're going to go in the right place. You're going to do the right thing because He's never going to lead you down a wrong path. You are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you the ABCs of how to live your life. And so, friends, I'm going to tell you this. It's so important for us to make sure that Christ is our reference point because He's going to come by and check one day just exactly how well we have copied it his steps. The first thing that I want to talk to you about, and this is exactly what the enemy tries to do in every household, the enemy seeks to destroy your relationship between husband and wife. As we were looking last Sunday, it was astounding to me, uh, at the survey of the people who live in this area already, and those that will be here by the year 2022, that Uh, The divorce rate in our area is comparable to the divorce rate in the United States of America. And this takes into consideration church as well as secular, that it was about 47%. 47% of the people are divorced or going to be divorced. Does that upset you? I mean, you wonder sometimes, God, what are we doing? What are we doing as a church? How are we preparing our young people? What are we teaching them? First Corinthians seven five says this: Defraud ye not one another, except it be with consent. And this consent is for a time that you give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and that you come together again, that Satan tempts you not, for your incontinuancy. In other words. Uh, If Satan can get in, if evil can come in and cause us to be inconsistent and not continue to love one another and relate to one another like we should, there's going to be trouble. And it's not going to be in River City. It's going to be in your home. It really is. Defraud ye not one another. That word defraud in the Greek means to rob. Don't rob one another. Do you know if you don't love each other like you should, it's robbery? Now, Linda and I have been married a short period of time. We were married 51 years and 54 years, and we were true to our spouses. But I'm going to tell you something. For the rest of our life, for her to be fulfilled, I've got to love her like God tells me to love her. I've got to communicate with her like God tells me to communicate with her. I've got to be to her what God wants me to be, or her life is going to be robbed. And for my life on earth... She's going to do the same thing. She's going to love me, communicate with me, and we're going to share with one another. And we're not going to participate in marital robbery. We're going to be together 100%. Amen? I'm going to tell you, folks, there's an all-out attack on husband and wives. There's an all-out attack on the family. Christopher Leach said this in his book, another writer, The Culture of Narcissism. Listen to this now. Uh, These are leading people in this field. Both men and women have come to approach personal relationships determined to manipulate the emotions of the other while protecting themselves against emotional injury. Both sexes cultivate a protective shallowness. It seems like we don't give 100% anymore. There's a protective shallowness about us. Oh, uh, listen, folks, that's exactly falling into the game plan of the enemy. There can't be a protective shallowness. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, If you're not open and honest and completely 100% for one another, you're going to be in serious trouble at some time or another. You really are. Some years ago, I was at the counseling center, and uh, my telephone rang, and it was the mayor. And I said, yes, uh, Mr. Mayor, and this was in Warner Robins, Georgia. mayor said, Dr. Spillers, he said, I've sent uh, two of my people, husband and wife, uh, to see you this morning. And he said, I hope I haven't overstepped my bounds, but we need, uh, it, it's really bad. And, and we've got to have some resolution here pretty soon. And he said, Our, our, our things are going to happen negatively, uh, not only uh, vocationally, but also uh, with retirement? Except he went into a little detail. And he says, they're on the way now. Is that a bad thing? I said, no. Fortunately, I can, I can meet them. And so when they got there, the secretary said to come in, so they came in and sit down on the couch. This gentleman sat at one end of the couch, and she sat at the other end of the couch. That's usually a real dead giveaway, isn't it? <laughs> huh? uh, and uh, uh, they were sitting there on the couch, and, and uh, this woman began to talk. And as she began to talk, uh, she changed gear. She went from first to second, and then from second to third, and then from third to fourth, and then she went into overdrive. And finally she got finished, and I said to myself, Self, uh, he probably doesn't say anything because he can't find a place to jump in. And so... I, I, I looked and I, I begin to see that he's an accountant. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not stereotyping people, but I've counseled for how long? 47 years, and I ran the largest Christian counseling center in the Metroplex for eight and a half years. So I think I have a little bit of experience. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to label people, but those people who work with machines and who are accountants, and who are engineers, they think differently than most of us, you know, that are just average. They cross every T and dot, every I, and they are very, very precise. Well, you could tell right quickly that she wasn't precise. She used the shotgun approach. And if I talk long enough and hard enough, uh, uh, something is going to get through. So, I finally got him to respond. And I said, sir, is is, uh, what she telling me uh, the way it is in the home? And he said, I've tried to talk to her through the years, but it's kind of like talking to a record player that you can't find the stop button. (laughs) And so I began to talk to them and share with them and, I tested them, and when they came back, and they looked at their results, and we began a counseling sequence. It was amazing how we finally got some equilibrium in that relationship. And this poor girl had never had anybody in her life, father, mother, siblings, anybody ever to really listen to her. So I guess she decided she had so much stored up to tell that she was going to finally have somebody that was basically incarcerated that she could speak to. And the the man bless his heart. Uh, he began to be honest as well. And I, I want to tell you one of the secrets uh, uh, of doing this is uh, is cognitive reality therapy, where you really go back and look at situations and begin to say, now how could you have done that differently, and why did you do this, and what was your thinking, and begin to bring it into And through that process, after a while. They began to smile and relate to each other, and one day, one day, they left the office with their arms around each other saying, hey, we've got a new beginning, and it took a long time, it took a long time to adapt, it took a long time to change, it took a long time to understand. I just want to tell you something. Time goes by so quickly. As I stand here before you, remember I said no tie in July, and I forgot last week, and I wore a tie. Now that comes with age. Uh, I, but, but, but I'm just going to tell you this. We're fixing to go into August. And I, My birthday was January the 4th, and, and uh, <clears throat> incidentally, it's 17 and a half, 34, 35. But that's my shirt size. Uh, and now, look, we're going into August. Can you believe how fast this year has gone? Just meow, It's gone by so fast. Listen, that's the way life is. And one day you're going to wake up. You're going to look at each other, and you're going to say, "Man, you know, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I dreamed out about." That's why it's so important for you not to rob each other. It's so important for you to communicate to each other. If 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 you say to yourself, men particularly, "Oh God." Here it comes again. How many times have we gone down this path? You know what that means, don't you? It means that you all have gone down that path, but you've never resolved it. you never found a resolution. Uh, You haven't been able to get past where you are. I I don't care how many times you have to listen. The best thing to do is put your arms around each other and say, under God, I love you. And I'm going to try to be a better communicator. I'm going to try my best. To give you one hundred percent. I'm not going to be narcissistic in my relationship with you. You know what that means, don't you? That means thinking of yourself before you think of your spouse. Being narcissistic means that we get, do it my way or we don't play. You know. Have you ever asked your wife, where would you like to go eat? And they said, Wherever you want to go, it doesn't matter to me. Have you ever had that response? You know, usually why you get that response is because uh, you've asked to go where you'd like to go and you didn't get to go there, so it don't matter to you. You don't have an opinion. So I'm just going to tell you something, folks. Don't rob each other. The Bible says, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise the wife also unto the husband. Due benevolence. And it also says, uh, the wife hath not power over her own body but the... Likewise, the husband hath not power over his own body, but the wife. That means that your relationship has to be reciprocal. That means that you become other-oriented in your thinking. When you become other-oriented in your thinking, it changes your whole life. It really does. You know, there are a lot of people who live in a world that is so uncomfortable. They live together alone. And that's a hard place to be living together alone. Uh, Kleinbell and Kleinbell, who were husband and wife, a clinical psychologists, wrote a book one time entitled Existential Loneliness. Now, that's for clinicians and it's not just good average reading. But let me tell you what they say, that a lot of people live in this kind of an environment that they create. They talk to themselves more than they talk to their spouse. And let me tell you what happens when you do that. You say, well, I would like to do this, but I'm not going to say anything to her or him simply because I know how they'll probably react, and I just don't want to cause any ruckus or go down that road. So I'm just going to talk to myself and conclude for that person. So when that person does speak about something, you don't hear it because you've already concluded for them in your own mind. That's called existential loneliness. And a lot of people live there. You talk to yourself more than you talk to each other. Wow, there are so many levels of communication. And most of us, if we're not careful, we don't develop intimacy and in communication. We just wind up talking in level one all the time, which really doesn't have any emotion attached to it. It doesn't have any development included in it. In other words, you just talk about, are you? what do you want for supper, you know? Uh, will you go by and pick up the laundry? Did you do this? Did you do that? Can you do this? Can you do that? And then when you get home, you get my friend Flickr. And you turn on television, and that's the end of your communication for the day. You know, until 11 o'clock news. I've sworn off the news. I won't listen to it on Sunday, particularly coming to church. You know. So I'm just going to tell you something, folks. We don't need to live together alone. Amen? Man, there are a lot of benefits if you do it right. There's nothing in the world like having a loving, communicable relationship. It's just wonderful. It really is. So the Bible tells us so specifically that we need to do our part. We need to invest in to each other. I've got five minutes. Can you listen in a hurry? The second thing that I want to talk to you about is this. The enemy seeks to destroy your relationship with your children. Not only your wife, but your children as well. Now, here's a Harvard psychologist. It's obvious that he's from one of the Scandinavian countries because his name is Osserson. And he's a Harvard psychologist, but he said something right. Listen, if the father is not there to provide a confident, rich model in the family... The family is left in a vulnerable position. Man, it's good to be uh, after something. and you know I, I remember coming along when I was climbing the ladder and I was going to school, I was working, doing all the things I was doing. It's so easy if you're not careful to neglect each other. It really is. It's so easy to neglect your children and your family. Uh, I, I want you to remember this formula that I'm fixing to give you. Let's deal with the quality time concept. Here, here's how easy it is. Remember this. Less time, less influence. That's a easy equation, isn't it? You know, people say now in the modern psychology is this. Oh, it's not the time you spend together. It's the quality of time you spend together. <laughs> you know, that's just that new world kind of philosophy and it don't work less time what less influence so I'm just going to tell you you got to balance things out you really do when I was pastor of Central Baptist Church in Warner Robins we had our second child and it was at that time I really realized how important it was for me to be at home even though I was pastor of a large church I want to tell you something. One child is a full-time job. Two children is a, I don't know what you call that. That's overtime. Uh, three children, insanity. You know, Four, how in the name of heaven do you do it? You know, it's just unbelievable. I remember coming home after we had our second child and I'd come home for lunch. My lunch wouldn't be ready. And I just told my wife, I said, honey, this is ridiculous. All you got to do is make a sandwich. I caused tears to flow. And men don't do what I did. You know, I hadn't read a lot of books back then. And I came from a farmer's home who thought women did this and men did that. I had a lot of changing to do. I said, you know, I can clean this house and watch after two kids. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to let you off this weekend, and I'm going to show you. Well, just as soon as I said that, she said, are you serious? <laughs> yes, I am. I can do it. I'm a silverback. Listen, I, I want to tell you what happened. This is a true story. I've got to do it really quickly. I was standing at the door with Leah, who was still, I mean, Rachel, who was just a little bitty infant. My other child was in the bed taking a nap, and she took me seriously. I didn't really think she would, but she put on the makeup, got dressed, and was leaving on Saturday. And I went to the door to say goodbye. And, you know, men are different holding a child. Have you ever noticed that? A woman, they can put it on the hip walk all on the mall. A man can do that ten minutes and die with a cramp. <laughs> you know, we got to have help. All right, listen, and watch a guy hold him. It. It's like holding a loaf of bread. So I had the little baby, and I waved by, and I turned around and closed the door at the same time and hit her right in the head with it. <laughs> I mean, red mark on the forehead. You hit a little baby in the head with a door, and they go berserk. She went backed up, and I went. Ah, ah, I need help. <laughs> God, listen! Thank God, our pediatrician, who was a member of our church, lived two doors down. I went down there, leaving the other one asleep with a screaming baby. Rang the doorbell, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, ding. He came to the door, and I said, "Look, I have I hurt her bad, you know." And he took her and examined her, and, and uh, we got her calmed down and. And and he said, no, she's going to be all right. I said, does she need an x-ray? You know, I was just like that. I mean, I was berserk myself. Well, the Denny's lived across the street from us, and they had three girls. And uh, they, were, they were really good in helping with the children. So I called uh, Adela, Denny, and I said, can I borrow your girls? And she said, let me ask them. She said, oh, yeah, because they knew I'd pay them. And so all three of the girls came over, babysat, and one of them cleaned up the house and helped me. And anyway, I went and I bought a supper that looked like I did it. I had it, dishes, candles, and everything. When my wife came home, the babies were the house was clean. The babies were all dressed. And, you know, she couldn't understand that red mark. But anyway, <laughs> I explained that to her later, and she was just puzzled. You really did it. I said, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I, it was some time later before I told her the whole scenario, but I'm going to tell you something that was the hardest weekend of my life. You could go to basic training in the Marine Corps, and it wouldn't even measure up to the uh, emotional disturbance I had that weekend. It was absolutely horrible. Uh, I, I want to tell you this, and I'm not a, I, I, I got to hurry. I, I want to tell you that oh time's up I, I want to I want to tell you with all my heart, I told the church and, uh, and and this is what I told them I said i y'all know I grew up flying airplanes, and most people grow up doing different things. I grew up flying airplanes. My cousin during the Second World War had the uh, fixed based operation at Herbert Smart Airport. And I grew up smelling 80-octane gas and flying a double wing Waco. You know, so so I grew up differently than a lot of kids. You know, I grew up on a farm, and we moved in. When I got married, you know, uh, I already had an airplane. I used to take my wife out at night flying. And then they discovered that I didn't have a license, so they made me go to ground school. And I flew my own plane over for instruction. And the instructor said, there's something wrong with this picture. But anyway, I... Uh, I, uh, I, I, just, I just grew up differently. And I was involved in a lot of things. But when those children came along, the, the airplanes had to go. I'd, I had a Bonanza V-tail, 174 miles an hour, carried five people, full fuel and luggage. I loved that airplane. But I tell you, I couldn't afford two small children growing up and all the things I was doing. So I had to kiss that airplane goodbye. And when I flew it over for the last flight, when I sold it, I actually cried tears over that airplane. And then I quit golf because I, I couldn't do what I was doing and do what I uh, had promised my family I would do and play golf too because it took me like four hours to play 18 holes I just didn't have four hours to spend. I had a large church, a large family. I, I told Carol, I said, maybe I could develop online gambling or something. I don't know. You know I, I don't know what I'm going to do. you know But God worked it all out. On Thursday nights, I took her out on a date. And I, I try to date my wife. Now, don't you still date your wife? I hope you do. It's very important to go out on a date. Uh, we, I love to do that. And and so I, I've tried my life to practice what I preach. And I'm going to tell you something. It's hard. I've told people to do things that I back up. I say, are you doing those? No, you got to go back Sunday and apologize. you got to change your message. To do things right is very, very, very important. It's important. It really is. I want to read you this. I'm going to quit. I don't have time to finish. I'm not too wordy. Listen to this. A recent study showed that the quality of life suffers if you skip church. Now, I'm documenting this. You can follow it. Researchers at the University of Texas, Colorado, as well as Florida State found that those who regularly attend religious services live 10% longer than those who never darken the church door. So when we have something and you show up and people say, why are you going to church? They live longer. Listen to this one. (laughs) Listen to this one. You ready? This is in USA Today, April the 26th, 1999. For those who attend services once a week, Statistics indicate that they will live to the average age of 82 and can tack on an additional year of life expectancy if they attend more than once a week. Those who don't go at all live to an average age of 75, the study said. So let me tell you something. You may not like to come to prayer meeting on Wednesday night, but you're going to live a year longer. No, so this Wednesday night, you have a real choice you choose to come to hear your pastor preach and teach on Hebrews or just choose to die a year earlier. You said, does that make sense? Seriously. The devil is trying everything he can do. All the enemies that have fallen with him, the evil propensities that we bear in our life until we are totally glorified pulls us away from the Master. And never before in history has it been any more profound than it is in this 21st century. God, help us. God, help us. Help us to stand tall in our family and be a godly example for our wife and for our children. Amen. Father God, thank you for loving us. There may be someone here who's accepted Christ, but they've not followed you in believers' baptism. Father, send them. There may be those, Heavenly Father, who are looking for a church home. This is such a lovely place. I pray, God, that if you move in their heart, that they might make the decision to be a part of this great fellowship. And, Father, all of us, children, uh, parents, grandparents, all of us, God, need to reorient our life. And we need to take seriously to follow the steps of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at OxfordBaptistChurch.com Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.